Hello, welcome to the Bright Club Southampton podcast, episode 5. I'm your host, Dave Christensen, and I'll just give you a quick introduction um, if, uh, if this is your first time with us. So, we put on a comedy show roughly every three months, um, and uh, we get a bunch of academics, researchers, or just people who are into that kind of thing to try and perform some stand-up, often for the first time, uh, about their work. And then, for the podcast, we get those guys back, and we talk to them about who they are, why they do what they do, and, uh, and also learn a little bit more about their research subject. So, um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, because I've kind of got another instruction coming up after the jingle. But, um, basically, uh, I'll say so. Firstly, there are some information about the dates, and I'll get the episode number wrong, because we've jiggled around the order of the podcasts, because yesterday was World Asthma Day, so we've got an asthma researcher for you today. Also, we, uh, the format of the podcast today is slightly different, because basically we lost the audio for our third show, so we're trying a different way to talk to researchers from the third show. Um... And yeah, we had we had quite a bit of fun. Uh, I won't take up any more time now, though. I will pass over to myself from a couple of days ago. Hello, welcome to the Bright Club Southampton podcast, episode six, I think. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is a, a bit of a different one today, um, basically because uh, we lost th- one of the shows. There's no audio for it, so yeah. um, all right. Nice, I'll, nice, I'll introduce nice. you in a minute, Nicole. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. All right, so um, yeah, so for today then, uh, we have uh, two guests with me on the show. Uh, we've got a uh, bright club boss, Nicole Mystery. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we've got uh, Nat Nat Day, who uh, performed at our third show, yes. uh, but we've got no proof of that except some photos. Yeah, and very few photos of that, so I might as well not have existed. Oh, I was no. a figment of the imagination. We could take some photos of you now and then Photoshop <laughs> them into the cafe and then just be like, oh, sorry, late upload of show three. Unfortunately, I have different hair colour now than I used to. Yeah, but you could photo. I mean, it would change the saturation or something. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do a lot of photo editing, so we can make anything work. And you're, you're performing on our next show, Nat, so uh, am, that's yes. making up for it. Yeah, second time lucky. Show number eight you'll be performing at. Is it? can't believe it that's two years we've been wow. running for two years by yeah. the time yeah and that um that show actually that Nat's performing at is going to be two days after the release of this podcast episode oh, we're cool. recording this a little bit in the past for you listeners but uh but um yeah if you're listening to this on the day it comes out get ready to see Nat Woo! <laughs> <laughs> nice timing <laughs> harmony as well um <laughs> this is a longer intro than I was expecting to do but uh that's all right um yeah Let's get on with it. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's get on with it. So, Nat, uh, what what do you do? Oh, uh, that, that, that's an existential question <laughs> of life. Um, I was a former PhD researcher in asthma and the common cold, and now I'm not. <laughs> Great. You solved the problem. Yeah, I, I cured <laughs> the, cured the cold. Solved every asthmatics problem and then decided to leave the lab. <laughs> that that was what I'd hoped to have achieved in four years. I didn't, obviously. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so now I work in public engagement. 
So this is actually part of my job. <laughs> public engagement reception. I'm doing public engagement from a public engagement person. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, are you getting paid to be here right now? Is that um, what you're saying? No, probably not. I don't. I don't get paid to do overtime. So this is technically overtime. Do you even get paid to do public engagement? Because when we do it, we have to do it voluntarily. Yeah. So I spent four years doing it voluntarily, and then actually got a pay packet at the end. It was oh, kind no. of like a, it was like a bonus. It was like, hey, you've done four years of volunteer work. Have a ten-month contract. We should quit our research and just go into. It. We should expand the public engagement unit. Yeah. yeah. I feel like we should just get paid for the stuff we do. I mean, I definitely like it. I, that's why I was worried then. If Nat was getting paid for this, and I'm thinking, I make this podcast. Yeah, we do this in our spare time. Why is she getting paid for overtime? Well, that's because, you know, I actually left the lab, and you, you guys have... haven't. <laughs> that's the difference. The lab's nice. It's all right. It's all right. I'm the only one in there, so I can sing by myself. It's quite echoic. I work in the water tank uh, by the wind tunnel. So it carries a voice nicely. Yeah, see, that's it. My lab. Well, I was the only one in my lab. So I used to dance in my lab quite a lot. So it'd be me in a lab coat and a pipette being like, yeah, got some Coldplay on. <laughs> nice. Not that you can dance to Coldplay, but, you know, there we are. So your work, you were working Common Cold and uh, Asthma. Yes. Um, how did you get into that? Um, so as a kid, this is ridiculous, I really liked the Deadly Disease book from Horrible Science. Okay, and after yeah. that, I was just like, that's, that's all I want to do. Like, I want to deal with really horrible, nasty illnesses and infections and then ended up studying the cold which is kind of like less deadly <laughs> disease and more like oh great um but yeah it just it just so happened that that's that's how it went and I then when I started my PhD it then became very more a lot more appropriate to me because I found out I had asthma um within the first year of my PhD after signing up to be like a healthy volunteer for what one of my studies. What a convenience. It was, it was a really great convenience. Study myself. I, w I was, I was like, I was like, oh, I expect other people to be guinea pigs, so I'll be a guinea pig. Let's go for it. Um, and then they were like, yep, yeah, right, healthy volunteer. And they were like, you're not healthy, you're asthmatic. And I was like, oh, well, there's a shocker. So at least then I could justify the fact that I used to struggle walking up the stairs, I then was like, oh, I'm not lazy, I'm just asthmatic. And that is how I've justified my life from now on. <laughs> Although I am lazy. <laughs> Wasn't there, haven't there been loads of instances in science where the scientist has experimented on themselves and it's, there's like a cloud of, I don't know. Well, there's that big one with that guy who, um, he was proving that um, stomach ulcers are caused yeah. by helicobacter pylori. Yeah, and then he drank. And he just drank a yeah. bunch of this bacteria. And uh, got some stomach ulcers, and it's like, yeah, proof. Yeah, but yeah, so so I don't know. Would you have been because initially you were going to be you were going to use yourself as a healthy patient? So I, I well, ethically you're not allowed. So I I was volunteering for someone else. So my lab group oh, okay. um, worked on a floor with another asthma group. So I was going to be their healthy volunteer, and someone was going to be my healthy volunteer in return. Right, okay, but yeah. unfortunately, it turned out. I couldn't be their healthy volunteer. Yeah. I could be their asthmatic volunteer, <laughs> um, which is great because we never have enough asthma samples. So that worked really nicely. But then I couldn't get the benefit of having yeah. an extra asthma volunteer, uh, which is really annoying. But you know that's how it happens, unfortunately. You said working on the floor with like asthma asthmatic patients. I meant I thought like literally people <laughs> who had an asthma attack on the floor. Oh yeah, we just we just like. <laughs> get a load of them in on and we're just floor. like sit down on the floor and just have an asthma attack now please 
That's, it's on the dance floor, is what she meant. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, work it, yeah, work, yeah. So, Matt, do you know, um, is it common for people to find out that they're asthmatic in their 20s? Um, yes and no. I think um, some people, it develops later in life, so there is um, a high incidence of asthma, late-onset asthma. Most people do find out in childhood, um, and p- there's potentially people like me that it's very mild, so you don't necessarily notice. I mean, I'm, I've am i got hay fever, and so it's actually probably more likely to be linked to my hay fever because a lot of people are allergic asthmatics. So mine's probably linked to my hay fever, but I never realised. I just thought, this is normal, and that, that's what it is. Asthma is because you don't know how everyone else breathes. You don't know what's normal or not. If you get breathlessness at being in cold weather, you just think, oh, that's normal, because no one discusses how, discusses how they breathe, do they? Like, yeah. We're not sitting here being like, guys, how do you breathe? Like, It's not a thing. Heavily behind someone's shoulders. What? Dave, so weird. <laughs> So yeah, so it, yeah, it, it's more common than you think, and I think that's 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 the whole point of my project was asthma and the common cold mm. are more common than you think, and it's more of a problem than you think. Yeah, because yeah, neither of them sound particularly problematic. Put them together, they can be quite problematic, and there's a reason it's called the common cold. <laughs> so not great. That's that's quite interesting. So. Um, you were saying that people don't actually ever discuss like how you breathe, so they would never really know mm-hmm. if they were breathing differently to someone else. So, d- does anything come out, or is anything out at the moment, like any notices or leaflets that do that kind of thing? Like, do you notice yourself doing this, this or this? Then maybe you've asthma, get it checked out. No, um, I think that's that's the, that's the weird thing. I think asthma's not one of those things that's diagnosed until y- you go in with a problem. Mm, okay. Like, it's never. It's never something you're tested for in childhood. Like, I was tested for asthma in childhood because I was having panic attacks. And so they were like, maybe that's asthma. And it wasn't when I was a kid, and then it's obviously developed later. But it, it's, it's not, there's no awareness about asthma because it's just one of those inherent things that people assume comes up and that, that's it. That's it. it. You've got asthma and you'll take inhalers mm. and that's it. And people don't realise how de- debilitating it can be in some cases. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's just part of the, I guess, the norm Yeah. in a weird sort of way that actually it's a disease, but people just accept it. Oh, you've got asthma, cool. Like nothing's ever discussed or done about it. Yeah, right. You always dress with like game show. I know this isn't related to the common cold and asthma, but you always are wearing something related to like comic books, anime. What started that? Um, I think it's cool, by the way. I'm not, ju- like, <laughs> I'm not judging anything. I just think it's good effort. Like, every time I see you, you're wearing something. Yeah, and sometimes I don't, and people are like, are you, yeah, are you okay? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm just wearing jeans and a band T-shirt, and everyone's like, is, are you okay? Is that a thing? And I'm like, well, I didn't know that my style had been so, like... Ingrained like, yeah, in our minds. That people are like, hmm, and it's the same when my hair's not coloured. People are like... Mm that's your natural hair colour oh my god um but I can't really remember why it started I think it was it it was just a progression oh it was because I started wearing really colourful jeans and then from the really colourful jeans I started wearing really colourful leggings and then the leggings kind of developed into that and then it became my entire wardrobe so now you kind of open any of my wardrobe or any of my drawers and it's kind of like horrendously offensively <laughs> colourful. It's kind of like, if you look at it, you're just like, oh my god, I think I might be on acid. Um, but obviously you're not, because this is actually 
me. This is me. I would trip every day. For, for the listeners, Nat is donning a dress that has the entire Pac-Man game board on it. It does, yes. I forget what, are they ghouls? Yes. Ghouls, the go- there's coloured ghouls. And there's Pac-Man there. There's Pac-Man there. So there's, there's a couple of Pac-Mans on there. Yeah, there are, are there? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, there you go, there's another there. <laughs> okay, let's all find if that you, man. If you put your finger in your ear and you wiggle it, it makes the sound Pac-Man makes. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is that a scientific fact? Yeah, it is. I'm an acoustician, so I know about how everything sounds. Sweet. (laughs) I'm an expert on (laughs) And upstairs is audiology, who study everything about the ear, so we came together and we said, how can you remind yourself of Pac-Man on a daily basis? That's it. Do you reckon that's how it was, that's how the sound came (laughs) up? I'm pretty sure. was just like... Oh, this is awesome. I mean, we've really justified the education label on the podcast. <laughs> with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah is, there is education to this, you know. But yeah, maybe maybe we go back to the common cold and asthma. Um, <laughs> I don't know, it's not as interesting as that, <laughs> <is it>? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, what can you tell us about Pac-Man? <laughs> oh God, I'm under pressure now. Um, he appears in the new Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Oh yeah, what? I need to watch this. Yeah. I might watch this huh. later tonight. Yeah. It came out this Fun week. fact, it did come out this week. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, a couple of weeks ago, for you <laughs> listeners. For you listeners, yeah. <laughs> what, what date are we? Are we allowed to say no, the date? No, don't say the date. It's a day <laughs> in time. Yeah. Uh, what, what about the future of your work? Um, so, the future of my work, um, I don't know. I don't know what my supervisor decided to do, <laughs> <laughs> which sounds really bad, but I haven't really spoken to my supervisor <laughs> since I finished. Um, but I think the idea was to take on some of the concepts because what I discovered, I kind of ended up going on a massive tangent from where I originally started that we were like, hey, there's these four microRNAs, which for people at home, microRNAs are really small pieces of RNA in our body that kind of regulate and control everything um, in some way or another. And people used to think they were rubbish and useless, and actually they do a lot. So my whole point of my PhD was, are some of these microRNAs different in asthma and in healthy people? So that might be why the asthmatic people are suffering um, and we kind of ended up going a little bit on a tangent because um, when I was doing my experiments and uh, infecting my cells with a cold, I started to notice some weird things about their interferon, and interferon is supposed to stop cells becoming infected. Um, and in, as- in healthy people, it was all fine, and in asthma- a- asthmatic people, they were responding very differently, and so their interferon was down. So we were like, oh, we- that's been published data, but it's kind of a contentious point that sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. So we then decided actually we were going to start looking more at interferon response and we found some really interesting things about how the interferon can change your barrier in your um, lungs and how in healthy people it seemed to have a really positive effect that there was this interferon around. But in in asthmatic people this interferon caused all sorts of weird things to happen. So actually what it might be is that they catch the cold their body responds with less interferon and then the interferon that is around is causing something completely different and weird to happen and so yeah i ended up on a massive tangent but had some really interesting data so i think my supervisor was going to take that on but i don't know (laughs) that's the plan so do you know why this interferon seems to be doing something different in the two different situations no no idea but 
the thing well that would be what you'd want to find out I guess would be would be the thing I mean because what I did was I was treating them with the same amount of interferon for the same length of time in the same situations the cells were the same everything was the same except one was from a healthy person one's from an asthmatic person and it just they just the asthmatic people just it, it just all went a little bit weird and awry every single time and it it was just it was just bizarre and we can't like obviously I don't know what caused it because I monitored all my microRNAs and they didn't seem to change so it wasn't my microRNAs was the conclusion that I spent four years on but it was it's something else so that's opens a whole world of investigation so so, so, so you were you were administering interferon mm -hmm. I ended up yeah but the same amount to each patient yeah same amount to each, each patient so it was kind of that yeah so it would be in a normal situation this is a healthy person because what we knew that when we gave them the cold they released this much interferon yeah. we could go right okay so that's the average level of interferon yeah. that we were that were, was being released we'll put that onto the cells in both healthy and asthmatic people despite the fact you know some asthmatic people were releasing less we were like yeah. we're just going to give you a normal set amount as or what is defined as normal inverted commas um, give it to them and see what happens and yeah that's it the asthmatics were just not responding in the same way so and and, and they might develop something else or was it it was just the fact that it just wasn't responding so they weren't responding but they so I guess it's a bit of both that they were weren't responding and even if they were responding they were responding in a different way so whereas in healthy people when we were giving them interferon they're getting lots of cell development yeah. barriers forming and getting tighter and the asthmatic people cells weren't really dividing there wasn't really barrier formation it wasn't enhancing anything and that could very well be that they don't respond right. or it could very well be that they are responding but something else is happening that yeah they're responding in a different way so instead of responding and going oh my barrier needs to be tightened asthmatic cells go oh well, I'm gonna do something do else. Something I'm else. gonna get a weird shape because they did yeah. tend to go very different shapes. So maybe that's it. But we don't know. That's that's the beauty of science, eh? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. My brother's asthmatic, and typically, if people, if let's say the classroom gets a cold, well, back when he was at school, if the classroom got a cold, he didn't get a cold. He got like a chest infection or mm -hmm. something like that. And I don't know if that's related, like it heightens the effect of whatever infection. Yeah, so typically what it is, is that people with asthma, their barrier is weaker, so that instead of, in the norm, in normal circumstances, you get, you catch cold, and your barrier fights it off within three days, and it doesn't progress any further. In asthmatic people, their barrier is less, it's, it's more leaky and loose, so it means that the cold can get deeper into their system yeah, so okay. it can infect more cells it can infect different types of cells um and so it becomes a much more it becomes a much worse sort yeah, of outcome yeah. and then the fact is that your immune system's busy fighting a cold so you can catch anything, anything else at the else, same time yeah. so you know you're very weak your barrier is just very weak yeah. and that's that's why it's such a problem can i check back um to what you're saying yeah. before about uh administering interferon was mm -hmm. was that actually to the sorry to the patients or to the cells 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 i didn't i didn't play right. with patients um <laughs> i yeah it was all it was all to the cells i mean patients there are clinical trials where they're doing interferon studies on patients so we know that there is obviously something in this 
Um, but in certain circumstances, some people seem to be responding positively to having more interferon, but my cohort of patients weren't. So it's potentially saying there's something, again, asthma, you say asthma and it sort of relates to one disease, but mm. actually there's so much variation in that disease yeah, right. that when you say, oh, if we treat an asthmatic with interferon, um, it, it helps, but it might not help one subset of asthmatics who don't respond to the interferon, which my patients, my patient samples weren't. So, so what what were the cells that you were working with? What types of cells were there, and how did you get them from the patients? It's <laughs> lung cells. It yeah. seems like that wouldn't be necessarily just easy. Just like make them really just cough up a bit of lung or like <laughs> shove something a long way down their throat. Yeah, it is. That Sword is how you get it. That's that, how you get it. <laughs> that is how you get it. So I was working with um, cells that are called human primary bronchial epithelial cells. Which is a very long-winded way. Um, well, so, so, the, so the bronchus, that's one of the bigger mm-hmm. tubes yes. going down into your lungs. Yeah. And epithelial cells are like a layer on the top of a thing. Yes. Right. Like, so like your skin. It's like yeah. your skin. So does so epi mean like above or something? Or what does epi? Oh, I don't remember. Because you have like epidermis and... Yeah. Yeah, so it's, well, it's epithelial cells are basically what make up... Um, the, the surface of a lot of your systems so you've got epithelial cells in on your skin in your lungs in your stomach and all right. sorts. so they they literally like one of the most abundant cell types um and so to get them we have to do bronchoscopies which are so much fun um what happens is that you basically put a camera and a brush up someone's nose down their throat and then into their lungs. Nice. And it, sound, it sounds really grim and you're pulling a face, but <laughs> um, what it is, is it's actually not at all painful because once you get down into your lungs, you have no nerve endings uh, in your lungs. Yeah. So it, it, it has no effect on you. So um, one, it's really, you can feel it at the back of your throat, but they obviously they give you all sorts of numbing and sedation and you can do it under under anaesthetic if you want to. I was just like, I'm gonna tough it out, it'll be fine. It was just a really surreal, sort of experience because you can see the camera and you're watching this inside your lungs and you're like this is really weird I never thought I'd see the inside yeah. of my lungs that's um, kind of cool actually yeah, yeah. So, this is it. so I've got a DVD of the inside of my lungs if anyone ever wants to watch it it's great <laughs> great Friday night entertainment um but yeah so yeah once it gets down into your lungs um they then send a little brush in and just scrub some cells off and that's that's how we get the samples and it, it's really simple painless procedure it takes like 30 minutes to do and yeah and that's that's how i get all my cells and how i do all my work or how i did all my work even so, oh, no, so this might be a bit of a technical question because uh, i work with epithelial cells as well so uh so am biologists I get, am I gonna, engineer, <laughs> yeah. just, just biologists just having like a conversation now i'll just leave the room now that, that sounds like it's going to be a sitcom yeah <laughs> two biologists and an engineer or a setup to a joke yeah they walk into a bar, bar. Yeah, and then talk about epithelial cells. Yeah, so the engineer walks off. Yeah. That's some real work. <laughs> oh. Right. Uh, yeah, so I just wanted to ask, um, so I've heard, because so there are people who work with these epithelial cells in this cool system growing it in a lab where they grow it on a surface where it's at like an interface between air and liquid. Yes, is that, 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 is, that... that is how I grew my cells, so oh, an air-liquid cool. interface. Is that ah. suspension or something? No, so they they typically grow this on like a thin, like um, porous membrane, ah, cool. and then you grow it on there, and then you have liquid underneath, mm-hmm. yeah, and then nothing above. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, the whole idea is that if you if you grow 
epithelial cells or especially lung epithelial cells submerged it's not at all like the environment they'd right, be in okay, in the body yeah. so this is the nearest thing we right, can do yeah. because the yeah you've got the liquid underneath which would be you know your normal blood system and then you've got your you've got your um air above yeah. so it's creating sort of the dynamic that they'd be in obviously it has to be very sterile but it it gives them that sort of environment where they're getting the air circulation and it means that the cells start to differentiate and become different so that you're not getting one cell type yeah cool and um i had a question about the brushing mm -hmm. um it might be a simple answer so you you've got this endoscope with a brush going down yeah and is it just a case of abrasion between the brush and the skin? Is that how you get these mm -hmm. cells? Yes. And it's just scraping the skin, and because it's like so, I guess, um, unexposed or whatever, like your skin here. Yeah, they just it just comes. Just, yeah, they just come off with a little gentle brush. Yeah, and okay. It, it, and and it just heals quickly. Or whatever. Yeah, it heals fine. And the thing is, there's so many cells around that you know you're scraping off a small area, and then all your cells are like, oh, we've got a little bit of a gap. Shift we're gonna, over. Yeah, we're gonna yeah. move, and we're gonna start dividing. So we're patching up those gaps which is the same concept that when you get a cold that your cells your airway cells shed off very fast they're like oh we're infected we're yeah, gone. Okay, yeah and that's what gives you the sore throat it's not anything yeah. else it's the cells are shedding off oh. and then the rest of your cells go oh, there's gaps we're going to start moving we're going to start dividing and everything like that to fill in the gaps Oh wow, that's cool. Yeah. Learn so next time you have a sore throat, instead of saying I've got a sore throat, you're like, oh, I'm shedding. Yeah, I'm <laughs> shedding dead cells. So they program, they programmed, right? Is this mm -hmm. apoptosis or whatever apoptosis? Yes. Uh, I Ooh. know about this. You know, it's for the hearing. <laughs> you're, you're the hair cells. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah, it's the same. It's the same concept that the cells that get infected, they become, they sacrifice themselves. Chemicals, right? Just yes. like we're gonna apoptose and shed off. Yeah. And so actually when you feel the worst from a cold obviously it's not normally when you've got a sore throat you're like oh i've got a bit of a sore throat and then it's a few days later you're like oh i'm dying that's actually your immune system that's not your cold that's right, the immune okay. system that's making you feel awful the and the peak point on which you're infectious is actually when you've got a sore throat so yeah, the okay. days when you're like oh i've got a bit of a sore throat they're the days you should be staying home because that's the day when you're infectious yeah so why why do you feel really crap after why what is the immune system doing that makes you feel like heavy headed and stuff so like that? the immune system is causing all sorts of inflammation and right, recruiting okay. cells so it just bungs you up so yeah. your your immune system is going right there's been there's there's been some damage we've got to repair we've got to shift everything out so you get large uh, migration of your immune cells to the area which causes inflammation causes um, you know, higher mucus production, your cells get a bit red and sore and everything like that so causes them to reshuffle and sort out and yeah, just that's what causes the congestion and everything is your immune, all the immune cells releasing all these signals to be like, yeah. something's not right and actually probably by that point you're more right than you were. Yeah, it's just recovering, just, rebuilding, yeah. yeah. Um, bringing back to the, uh, the cells kind of recovering after some scraping some out, um, so do you think there's a chance that so you said about the um the uh, asthmatic patients their cells are kind of more leaky mm -hmm. so there's presumably kind of more gaps in between the cells basically so if they're less able to fill the gaps do you think there's any chance that when you're scraping off some cells that the asthmatic patients aren't going to recover as mm -hmm. well as yeah. healthy patients yeah so there is there is that potential and that is 
I, I guess, yeah, that is the hazard of when asthmatic people donate their cells, but, you know, you kind of have to have... Otherwise you can't study, you can't study it, yeah. so you, you don't know what is normal. And um, as I said, some asthmatic people don't respond in the same way. So as I said, again, this is the spectrum. So some asthmatic people, you probably scrape the cells off and division, fine, they're all dandy. And other asthmatic people, their cells are a bit more sluggish and might take longer and may not repair in the same way. Because we do see that some asthmatic people, they have real bad gaps in their, in their airway on, with their epithelial cells. And no one knows why, but that's something that happens. So, so, so is that visible through the endoscope? Or how do you know that? No, so it's not gaps? it's not visible at that level because, well, you know, epithelial yeah. cells, we're talking really right, high yeah. magnification. But you can do, so what we do, or we've done in our lab previously, had, uh, we did, um, we grew cultures and then we did freeze fractures of them. So we did um, some, we froze it and then took f- photographs of it. Mm. And you could see that there were areas where there were cells missing. So there were just holes and you couldn't, figure out why there was just some weird holes appearing and that's what I saw in mine is that there looked like there was huge areas where there was either one massive massive cell or it meant that there wasn't any cells and it was actually the cell beneath I could see that there was this big cell and the little epithelial cells that should be tightly compacted and create this cobblestone weren't there so we know that is a thing and a feature in asthma and you were saying that it's not related to the RNA well, it might be. It might be related to the RNA, but it wasn't related to the specific microRNAs I was looking right, at. Okay. So, you know, I was looking at four microRNAs, and we know there's well over a thousand microRNAs in a system. So I was looking at just these four because we'd done a couple of studies in um, in other patients. So we, we were the epithelial barrier and inflammation group. And right. so... I did the lung stuff, but one of my colleagues did work on the gut, and another colleague did some work on the kidneys. And so we'd done some studies in people that had colitis and people um, that had renal failure to see what microRNAs changed. And in both of those, these four microRNAs changed. So we were like, maybe they happen in asthma. Yeah. Maybe not so much, <laughs> but, um, you know, it, 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 that's, that's the theory, that, you know, epithelial barriers in your body are very they are prone to failing so maybe there's something underpinning all of those yeah some programming or something yeah but unfortunately my four (laughs) were not the four for asthma still 996 (laughs) exactly i feel like i should look into this stuff because working on epithelial cells as well but a different system in eyes for me Mm. i've never actually really read about other epithelial cells particularly but um but yeah maybe there are more similarities that i should i should check into well i guess because i guess that like looking at these different microRNAs, like that, that dictates. Like, I, I guess. I mean, lots of different things, all sorts of things about the way they function. Mm. Right. Uh, obviously, yeah. there are differences. So, like the lung epithelial ones, they're producing mucus and things, which yeah, doesn't yeah. happen in the eye for mm. me. Um, but. Uh, but that's not the epithelial cells that are doing the the mucus. So. That's no, the secretory doesn't. cells, so yes. the epithelial cells. <laughs> but I guess nice. there is that link between you because you're mm-hmm. looking looking at the programming will help dictate like the success in your in the production of cells, right? Like yeah. at the end of the day, that's yeah. Also, generally with epithelial cells, their main thing is just kind of forming the barrier, just lining yeah. things. Right, it's yeah. it's yeah. just got to be intact. So yeah. Um, for the diseases that I'm studying, it's also problems of gaps between them. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so it's a similar mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. So. Right. Might be yeah. worth it. Yeah. Homework for you on oh, this podcast. I don't need any more work. <laughs> do you do you think you'll um, 
you'll return to the lab at some point or do you think like this this field of this work in public engagement is like the way forward for you um this is probably the way forward for me i really do enjoy i really did enjoy the lab but i really enjoyed talking about it a lot more yeah. and i i think that was where my main downfall is i'm a talker if it hasn't come across in this podcast i'm a massive talker <laughs> um so i prefer to be out there talking about it in educating informing and stuff so that for me i think is more valuable and so i've really enjoyed making the transition into public engagement and seeing all the smiley faces when they came to our science and engineering festival so you know that that's that's for me where i'm hoping to go i say this like who knows what will happen in a year's time when my contract ends <laughs> you had a you had an interview last week didn't you yes how did that go oh um it went fine i'm still waiting to hear back i've got another interview tomorrow oh cool good luck. um so what are these for um so they're for public engagement jobs all around the all around the country i guess um i've had some for cancer research yeah. some for imperial some for bournemouth one of them might like me eventually <laughs> That's cool, because last time we spoke, we went to that Engage conference, mm-hmm. and you were talking about the Welcome Trust. Yes, so... You were trying to apply for a fellowship. There. Yeah, so, yeah, see? See what happens. <laughs> what do you mean? What? So, no, this is this is the world of public engagement. It changes so often. Right, OK. That it, it's it's hard, hard to keep up, and uh, there's lots of people that are really keen and great that, that's a great thing but also at the same time it's really annoying because it's very competitive and i'm there being like please pick me pick me um which yeah that's <laughs> so, so you'd encourage us and maybe listeners who are similar to nicola and i to stay in the lab and just do it as voluntary stuff <laughs> just don't <laughs> well i no. what i'd suggest is that i think a lot of people in research seem to see public engagement as the easy steady career yeah, off okay. the back of science um, and research that, you know, oh, we're always going to need people to communicate it and it will be, uh, you know, I can go into that if I've got loads of experience. And um, I think you've got to really want want to do it for the right reasons because it's not as straightforward as people think it is. People think, oh, I'll go and join a university and I'll be there for, like, 20 years of my life. <laughs> that doesn't happen. Like, contracts yeah. are just as flaky and short term as in um research so it's it's the same it's it's basically the academic thing it's it's the way academia works so you kind of have to be prepared to have the same sort of life that you're gonna have to move quite frequently and you're just gonna have to really really want it and if you want it then great but if you want something steady and stuff go into something Steadier, which I don't know what is steady. Industry, maybe. Maybe industry. (laughs) Maybe that ghost. um, But, yeah. Yeah. That's really sad. It is is sad. We can't finish on a sad. (laughs) No, sorry. Uh, Sorry to bring in such a downer to the room, but that's the harsh reality. And it's kind of not spoken about that much when people are coming out of it. People think it's an easy career, and it's not. But you're having fun, right? Oh, yeah. In your position now. Oh, yeah, the, no, like... Because the newly formed Public Engagement Research Unit at mm-hmm. uni, and you joined very shortly after they formed, right? Yeah, so, yeah, actually, to be fair, we, we I joined when it was officially formed. Yeah. So, November. Um, and, yeah, no, I, I love it. Like, I absolutely adore everything I do. I mean, you know, there's I don't think there's another job that I would want to do after doing this because I love going out and helping 
academics turn their research into something fun and engaging and seeing them kind of interact with their research in a different way it's very rewarding in that regard and I and also the fact is that you're seeing kids come in and have a great time with something that on paper could have sounded awful you know Mm. like you know the history of business it sounds really dry but you turn it into something fun and engaging and you see these kids interacting with it and really enjoying it and seeing the world in a different way and I think given everything that's happening in society right now that's really it's even more important than Uh, it used to be so shimmer of light yes little flicker of light at the end (laughs) 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 turned around again so is this is this a point where I'm like come and see my bright club show it'll be really fun and after like such a bitter note there yeah. and I was like I'm going to be really fun and engaging and it's going to be hilarious after having like such self-deprecating humour <laughs> can you give us any sneak previews of any uh, jokes that you're going to oh, make well considering I've come from the lost episode no one no one will understand my follow up jokes because I was oh, going to do no. some follow up jokes um, but no one can watch my previous well we joke. get we, 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 we've established quite a big following now so I think most of the people that turn up will have been to the others yes ho- so I hopefully like, oh, I it's a while ago though it, it was, is, it is it was, a while ago it was about ago. a year ago now so right? this is it but so it was ago. it was and um, a lot of my set the first time was talking about writing my thesis and how it was my thesis pregnancy because I kind of it, it very much was that I was eating for two and I was having terrible mood swings and I was drinking for two not that I drink for two when I was pregnant obviously <laughs> that's a bad idea don't listen to me on that one but um so yeah I'm out the other side of it now so I guess uh, some of my jokes will probably be looking back and reflecting on that process and uh, everyone I'm going to bring my thesis with me so everyone can meet <sighs> this labour of love um, that took me four years and see how demoralising it is when you know you've got this little black book and that's it you're like this is my thesis and everyone's like it looks like a very large document <laughs> like what's what's the point sort of <laughs> I'm writing my th- well I'm trying to write my thesis so <laughs> thanks very much <laughs> oh you no you'll, you'll go you'll go through the same the same labour of love where you know you'll sit down one morning and you'll be like right I'm getting on with this and you'll put a bag of like cookies or something next to you as motivation and then by about 3pm you go into that bag of cookies and you're like oh no I've eaten an entire bag yeah. of cookies and then like five well, not five, five months down the line. Yeah, it must be five months for me. Uh, you then jump on the scales and you're like, yeah, no, this is still yeah. my thesis weight that yeah. I'm losing. <laughs> one, one of our friends graduated recently. He worked at the NOC and he was stick thin. Like, he'd go climbing and surfing all the time. And then it came to writing his thesis and he couldn't do it. He hates it. He just gets distracted. And he said that what he did was every time he wrote a line, he took a piece of chocolate. Oh, God. And I think he got to like 500 grams of chocolate a day or something. Mm. And he had a fast metabolism or whatever. But when it got to like the end of his thesis, he was like, I didn't think I could ever get love handles, but he could grab <laughs> stuff around his waist. It's crazy. It is, it is like that. It's, it's awful. But you're like, you're like, oh, well, I, I wrote a thesis. And yeah. that's how Justification. I keep, that's how I keep justifying it to myself. That I tried a dress on the other day that I only bought like last January. And I was like, oh, no, it doesn't fit. And I was like... But I've written a thesis since, so it's okay. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. that's probably not the way to do it because it's like, it's like you know, that's the way to justify it to yourself when you're pregnant. But I didn't actually push anything out of my body. Like, there was nothing there. Nothing was growing. I just ate. <laughs> I stress ate. 
Yeah, I still have to do that any kind of writing I do. I have a packet of biscuits and just eat a packet of biscuits and don't actually do the writing. You don't actually stuff. write. You're like, right, I've got these biscuits and while I write, I'm going to eat these biscuits. But then you're like, oh, damn, these biscuits are so good. And then you're left with crumbs. You're like, and there's still that blinking cursor at the beginning. Of the but, I mean, then at least there's like the guilt writing after that. Yeah, like, oh, oh no, yeah. So then you're like, oh, I've got to write now. Well, I, yeah, I wish I'd, I wish I'd had that sort of motivation. But I, I just, I just, well... You know, I, I tried. I tried. <laughs> well, you got it done, though. So. I did get it done. I did get it done. And it didn't take me too long. It took me, what? It actually took me the equivalent of a pregnancy to write, like, nine, nine months. months. Nice. So it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't too bad. And so I still hit my deadline, which was the other massive thing. That's really good. Yeah. That's, that's such a good achievement, though, to, like, get it in. Yeah. Time. Well, it was, the worst bit was that I had a little bit of it whilst I was still... Um, well, I, well, I took this job in November, and my deadline wasn't until the end of November. So I had a month where I was working full time and then writing the thesis. Yeah. So the staff at Boulderwood really know, like the security guards, night security guards, really know me because they used to come and knock on my office door at like nine o'clock and be like, Are "You still in the office?" I'd be like, "Yeah, no, I'm here until the building closes." And literally, they'd shepherd me out at midnight and chat to me. Nice. <laughs> it was a, it's a very, very unique experience. But you know, the staff, the security staff, love me. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, which was um, more kind of stressful and terrifying, the um, Viva or your Bright Club performance? <laughs> oh, oh, um, I'm going to say my Viva because I couldn't have a glass of wine. Um, Because, yeah, before the Bright Club performance, I had a glass of wine just to sort of steady my nerves. And... Um, yeah, that that was that was fine. Whereas my Viva, you couldn't exactly turn up with a glass of yeah. wine. We'd just been like, because also I had my Viva at nine o'clock in the morning, and I'm sure if I'd have turned up with a glass of wine, they'd have been like, um, especially if you... the glass is a bottle. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just one of those really big glasses that have a whole bottle of wine in. <laughs> yeah, like that's my sort of glass of wine. Um, but you can take in like a bottle of water. I'm pretty sure I had a bottle of water with me, it's and like you could have just like put something else in there. Yeah, yeah it's, a true. Bit of extra it's true. It's true. I could have probably smuggled it in, although you know they'd have probably noticed because my viva was four hours. Whoa. Yeah, uh, they'd have probably noticed that if by about an hour in I started slurring, they'd be like, "Are you, are you okay? Like, are you having a stroke or are you drunk?" Like, and then it'd just been like. Mm. Because yeah, my viva was a very long experience, but it was it was fine, and it, you know. I, I enjoyed it and I had a weird I had a weird time because I did a lot of um, <laughs> I did a lot of self-deprecating humour in my Viva which is probably not what you're supposed to <laughs> be doing <laughs> it was <laughs> I was uh, I was literally about to um, ask whether you got any laughs in your Viva I but, did uh, I did yeah. actually get some laughs in my Viva which you know you probably shouldn't it should be a really serious experience but I actually found it quite once I'd calmed down and gotten into it um my vibe was actually quite a lot of fun, so I did make quite a few jokes. And you're like, you're there, like, because mm. um, when they were talking about some of our results, I'd just be like, oh, well, I just didn't cooperate. And it was like, you know, I, I spent a long time on it, and you know, that I, I spent like there was one block they were looking at, and they were like, oh, this isn't very good. And I was like, yeah, I'm very well aware of that. And they were like, so why did you put it in? I was like, to show you that I spent three months working on it, because yeah. otherwise, what would I have done Nothing for three months? I, I could have just turned up and been like, oh, so I spent my three months blotting, but the blots weren't very good, so I'm not going to show you them. So yeah. they doesn't, they don't exist. Because it's valid to show if something doesn't work at yes. the same time as if something does work. Exactly. Um, 
Just to clarify for the listeners, for anyone that isn't aware of what a Viber is, what is a Viber? Um, the most painful experience of your life. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a Viber is um, an exam at the end of your thesis. So some examiners sit down and read your thesis and then they ask you questions on it to basically justify that it's your work and you mm. know what you were doing and you can talk about it logically and defend some of it because no, you know you've got you have to defend the fact that hey yeah this block looks awful but there is a logic behind yeah. it and I know where it went wrong and what I can do differently next time so it's kind of like just showing them that you didn't just happen across it by magic that you just had one of these great projects that worked and you were just like oh, yeah. I don't know why I'm doing it but I'm doing it um so yeah so it's it's yeah it's an interesting experience <laughs> uh yeah so that's that's about all we've got time for really we just need to uh finish up so thank you for coming Nat not a problem My and, pleasure. Uh, thanks thanks for joining me again Nicole no worries I'll anytime see you, see you again sometime I probably will I mean <laughs> We have to organise a show. That's yeah, we up. do actually have to organise a show. Technically, yeah. I, oh no, I'm not going to be able to organise this one, am I? No. Well, you can, you can help you can. if you want. You could, what you do, what um, you like, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, come up with some jokes. That's, that's that, all, that'll really help us. That's yeah, all you've got to do. That will. That will. Yeah. We're set to <laughs> deliver. Yeah, it's going to be fun. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, bye. hi again thank you for listening Uh, i hope you enjoyed that slightly different format to normal um i should say as well quickly that uh, because of the rejiggling of the uh, release order of the podcast it means that although we were saying that nat would be performing at bright club in two days time it's actually two weeks and two days Friday the 19th of May is the date of our next show. Um, We've got a great show lined up. Uh, If you find us on Facebook um, or uh, on Twitter and uh, look for our website, all those places, you can find us, um, Bright Club Southampton, and uh, you'll be able to get tickets to the show now. Um, Yeah, we've got a great lineup. We've got uh, uh, Rachel Paris is our headliner and uh, Masood Milas is our uh, compare for the night. Um, and we've also got a great group of researchers um, alongside Nat, uh, who's our, our first returning performer, uh, which is quite fun. Um, it'll be good to hear about how she's got on since our last time. Uh, obviously, unfortunately, you can't hear how she did last time if you missed the show. But, um, yeah, she'll be good. And the research topics covered by our other performers range from uh, astronomy uh, to medicine, and also possibly somewhat outside of academia for maybe a couple of our performers. So, um, yeah, it's going to be good. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Although we at Team Bright Club Southampton still have to do a little bit more preparation for it. So other than telling you to go and find us on Facebook and Twitter um, and send us an email if you've got anything to say to us or if you think you want to perform at a future show, The only other thing I'd like to promote is uh, Pint of Science. Um, I'm sure that there are some Bright Club people involved with Pint of Science, and uh, that's um, that's kind of a a festival of science and science talks in pubs that will be happening all over the UK on the 15th, 16th and 17th of May. So just before our next show and uh, at about the same time as our next podcast will be coming out.
Um, so yeah, there's there's a great range of topics being covered across several pubs in Southampton, but also many other cities across the UK. So yeah, go and look up Point of Science online and buy yourself a ticket. They sold out almost all, if not all, of their talks last year, so um, I'd recommend getting your ticket soon because they very well might sell out again. Anyway, um, see you in a couple of weeks. Love you guys. Bye.